Let's turn as we continue our exposition of the Gospel of John to John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, that's right around what we call Easter, Jesus knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from the father and was going back to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments and taking a towel, girded himself about. Then he poured out water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and he wiped them with the towel with which he was girded. And so he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, you do not understand now, but you shall understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. I'm going to tell a story. I've told it at least one other time in my almost 34 years here. So some of you who have been here will recognize it. When I was teaching in seminary for 11 years, I traveled a lot most of the time up and down the West Coast. One time I was down in Castro Valley. Anybody here from Castro Valley? Since I'm going to tell a lie, oh, no. No. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, that's down in the Bay Area. I spoke oh, on a few occasions at the neighborhood church in Castro Valley. It was a large church. There was a gal in that church by the name of Susie. And uh, there was also another woman in that church who was, and I don't mean to demean her, but it's part of the story. She was grossly unkempt. She was smelly, seriously smelly, and an obese lady who had started attending that church. She had no clue about personal hygiene or how to take care of herself, zero. Naturally, 
people sort of avoided her. If she was going here, they'd be going over here. It's just human nature. Susie, on the other hand, was well-to-do, very. Knew her, knew her husband. She was a young woman. I would guess at that time, I don't, can't clearly remember, I'd say early 40s. She lived in a large home, as I recall, up on a hill, if there is a hill, I think there is, across from the bay there in San Francisco. Susie saw what was going on with this lady, and she did a remarkably stunning thing. She took this lady aside and asked her if she was willing to go to her home. Uh, She wanted to show her a few things. That was remarkable in itself. So the lady does take her up on her invitation, comes to her home, and Susie explains to her the need to learn how to take care of herself. So she took her into her own fancy bathroom. And with this lady, there were just folds of fat. This will gross you out a little bit. But underneath those folds of fat, hence the smell, this green stuff. Now, some of you who are medically trained may understand what that was. I don't. And... Susie got underneath those folds and started doing whatever she did and showing that lady how to take care of herself. Well, that's the end of the story so far as I know. I moved on, but I got that part of it. I thought, wow, I expect you're thinking, Wow. I know everybody in that church was thinking, wow. But that kind of Christian love, that kind of humility was stunning to say the least. Well, here in this passage, we have an exhibition of love, neither distracted nor diminished by pain or prospects. In opening this chapter, the Apostle John, the writer, magnifies the inscrutable love of Jesus by demonstrating that it was totally gratuitous and selfless, the love of our Lord for his disciples. By emphasizing that there was nothing on the human side of the equation to compel what Jesus did or to account for it, but... It certainly, as I've often said, rots my socks to just look at that and say, wow, wow. Jesus, knowing that his hour had come in order that he should transfer from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Knowing that his time had come, what does that mean? His hour refers to that narrow band of time. 
when all these connected redemptive events are about to take place, he's going to be he's going to be accused, he's going to be tried, condemned, and crucified. Then three days later he's going to be resurrected. And after that he's going to be ascended back to his father who is in heaven. That's his hour, the compass of those events, when he is glorified. We've talked about that term. Jesus, John sets his remark on the steadfast and intense love of Jesus. Well, it's amazing. It's just truly amazing. At this very hour, when Jesus was looking at his own indescribable suffering, looking it right in the eye, at the very time one would have expected the Savior knowing what was going down, to be withdrawn into himself. Aren't we often like that when we're facing something? Maybe it's a surgery. Maybe it's something heavy. Maybe the prospect of a loved one dying. Sometimes, depending on the personality, you kind of pull into yourself. You're not as communicative. You just kind of want to get off to the side. Well, it was one of those kinds of events where nobody could have blamed Jesus, though his disciples still didn't get it fully what was about to happen. He had told them, but they just it just didn't settle on him. You would have expected the Lord at this dinner to be maybe a little more reserved, a little more inward. He wasn't. This was at the time when his mission on earth was completed, and Jesus saw this was the good side. He saw his suffering, his pain, his humiliation was about to be over, as intense as it was going to be. And he was going to be ascended back to be with his Father in heaven. And glory upon glory surrounding him. Well, at times like that, if you foresee that, we never have, of course. You just kind of want to focus maybe on the future. He didn't, but to make matters worse, somebody was in the room, somebody bad, somebody that he knew all about and he knew exactly what he was up to. More about that at a later time. Judas, yes, Judas, Iscariot, the one who was going to betray his Lord. He was right there in the mix of the disciples. And Jesus, having loved his own, John says, he loved them to the end. This is typically Johannine. It's the way John writes. Sometimes he uses words and phrases with a double meaning. He meant he loved them right to the end of his earthly life. But the word, telos, can also mean to the uttermost. He loved them telos to absolutely the uttermost, and we're about to see that. We see unstinting love expressed in humility unmatched in human history. When dinner comes, the devil, we're told, had already cast into the heart, insinuated himself into the heart of Judas to betray him. Things are going on here. Let me just make a note, a contemporary note. We humans can form 
human desires. We do. We're fallen people. And even though we may be born again, Judas wasn't. Those desires can be very dangerous. They can become what some call handholds of Satan in the heart. Our desires are not necessarily honorable. These evil desires, we sometimes call them lusts. If they're fondled by our flesh long enough, they eventually give birth, as James tells us, to an evil disposition. What becomes a little pocket over here of evil desire Getting him away. What becomes a little pocket over here of evil desire? It gradually takes formation as a disposition, a kind of ruling disposition. That was happening in Judas. Satan will handhold, leverage that into godless deeds that serve his wicked purpose. We're about to see that happen. So part of the furniture of this scenario is that the devil had already helped him plant this idea in Judas. Later in verse 27, we'll see what happens. In any case, it's a bad thing. John mentions this. I think he wants to mention it as part of a foil or a backdrop for the staggeringly humble act of foot washing. The foot washing included Judas. I think if that had been me, I don't know about all of you, we're not all in the same disposition, temperament, but I think when I got to him, I would have said, you turkey, get out of here. Jesus washed Judas' feet, knowing full well what was about to go down. What an act of mercy. According to the custom of the time, verse 4, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself about. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Well, as I demonstrated, some of you found it humorous. A couple months ago, they didn't sit at tables as we do. They would lie down usually on their left elbow on a mat and extend their arm out to what we would call the table area. Maybe it was a small table. And they would eat, pass bread among them. So that was the custom here. Diners would recline, and Jesus had on, a, had on an outward garb, which for the occasion he shed, and he took a towel. What he does is light years beneath his dignity. It was considered an offense to the pride and the dignity of any self-respecting Jew to do what Jesus was going to do. You just don't do that. 
If the clothing was humble, the work which our Lord undertook to perform on this occasion was humbler. What Susie did was nowhere near this, though it's pretty stunning in itself. He began to wash the feet of his disciples. That was a courtesy extended to guests in a Jewish home. In that day, the day before modern shoes, when feet got dusty and dirty and transit, it was a little like providing dinner guests with a powder room or something to wash their hands, only more so. What you must understand here is that in that day, washing people's grimy feet was a necessary domestic job. It was left to orderlies, the people lowest on the social pecking order. All of a sudden, to their amazement, Jesus is taking on that role and giving an example of humility that we must show in loving each other. Pretty hard, wouldn't you say? This is the ultimate example of selflessness, of absolute humility. I don't know where the guys have got it up there. Not I'll get over here and read it. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. This is the ultimate expression. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ, you and me who although this is before he came to earth, he existed in the form, in the essence of God. He did not regard equality with God, with the Father, Father, Son, and Spirit, a thing like a kid with their toys to be grasped after. Go ahead. But he emptied himself in the form of a bondservant, and Jesus was made into the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, as a human being, though he was much, much more. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Consequently, for this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on heaven and on earth and every knee will bow. I tell people all the time, you're going to bow. You're never going to escape that. You will hit your knees before Jesus Christ. Don't strut around in this world and say, I don't need him. You're going down, brother. You're going down, sister. You're going down and you'll be eating grass before the presence of the Son of God. The Father's not going to let you, after he so humbled himself, stiff him. It's not going to happen. So Jesus stooped in order to exhibit his love for his disciples and give them an example of the humility we ought to show. You know, 
I, as your pastor, I understand every word I'm saying, every thought naturally. I know what I'm saying up here. But I must tell you, I don't get it. I don't think any of us do. I just can't comprehend it. It's a little like, I know many moms here will understand this. It's a little like an exasperated single mom trying to get across to her unappreciative adolescence all the pain and the suffering I'm going through, kids, all of the unseen sacrifices, you don't even know that I'm making for you kids. Just trying to keep you together as a family, just trying to make life work for you and keep burdens off your little backs. Sure, Mom, sure, I understand. Horse feathers. They don't understand. They don't understand in the slightest what that poor woman has gone through. Not a clue. Well, with me at least, I'm certain that my very best imagination has only a superficial idea of what Jesus went through to save my soul and yours from eternal perdition. It's all a little beyond the reach of my feeble grasp of the magnitude of his humiliation for you and for me. I got a little taste of that one summer back in Denver. We hadn't been in Denver very long. We were attending Riverside Baptist Church, and our pastor had an interest in Aussie and I. We both become very operational in that church. So the pastor was never the one to stand on dignity. He got me a job. Any of you from Denver? Do we have any here from anywhere? <laughs> well, it was out at one of the big malls at that time, huge. It's, I think now they've raised it. It was uh, Cinderella City, huge. All this underground parking and everything. So the man who managed that mall was in our church. So he called him up and said, I got a guy here. I was just there. I taught all year, didn't have any summer income. He said he needs to have a little income. Can you give him a job? Oh, sure. Send him on out here. I go out there. I got a job with about three other people cleaning the mall, cleaning out the, the gutters, cleaning out the parking lot. There I was in my overalls, and I was glad to stay underground. But the job went on till about 10 o'clock, and by 10 o'clock when all the people were coming in, suited. You know, and there I was in all of that stuff, sweeping the gutters and being looked down on. It's humiliating. It wasn't the last time I've been humiliated about the Anyway, got a little touch of what it is. Just imagine the Lord. The disciples must have been stunned in silence when Jesus got up and he poured water from the basin. Well, Peter said, as I paraphrase, he was always the first one to speak. They thought what Peter thought. Lord, what are you doing? 
what, 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 what the heck are you doing? You're going around here washing feet. You're going to wash my feet? No, no, no. That's just a total inversion of roles. You're the Lord. I'm just a disciple. I'm just Peter. No way are you going to wash my feet. The Lord was always ready to seize the moment and to teach. And so in one teaching, he enfolds another. He sees the moment. Peter, I'm not going to wash your feet. Uh, let me tell you something. And this was aside from his main point, but it's important that we get it. He said, if you're not going to let me wash your feet, you have no part in me. What? Peter said, I don't know what all is going on here, but if it's, if that's the price of not letting you wash my feet, well, just give me a bath. <laughs> that's really actually what he said. Wash my hands, wash my head, wash everything. Just dump the whole load on me. And Jesus said, well, Peter, that's not necessary. He said, I've washed you. You don't need a bath. You're clean. You're clean in my sight. But one who's already been cleansed by me needs only to wash their feet. What's he talking about? By the first thing he meant, you've been justified by faith in me. But now, Peter, understand this the rest of your life. You always need foot washing. He's not talking about an ordinance. You always need to be cleansed. So you and I, we have been justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're saved. We belong to him. But we still need him through our spirit to be cleansing our feet. You and I pick up dust. We, pick up, we get acculturated. Every one of us, including your pastor in this room. We're acculturated human beings. If you don't know that word, it's just simple. It just means you pick up the dust and the dirt of the culture. We're Americans. Others are Englishmen. Others are Africans. Others are this or that. South America, wherever. Peruvian. Doesn't make any difference. You pick up stuff from the culture and that stuff is still the world. Just expressed in different cultures. And it's not good. It's not good. Some of it's okay. But it needs to be cleaned. They tell me, i got a refrigerator at home. They tell me every once in a while I need to pull out my refrigerator and, and vacuum off the dust. It's on the coils in the back. We need the dust off our spiritual coils so that we walk with the Lord, walk carefully, walk closely. He said, Peter, you need your coils cleaned. It's a work called purification or sanctification. We are first justified by faith, and that's forever in a moment. But constantly as we walk the roads of this life, you and I need what we're getting. We need the Spirit of God working in us to clean our coils, to clean the dust and the dirt off our feet so in the ways we walk, we don't leave an odor, we don't leave a stain. We leave the fragrance of holiness behind us. Well, Peter Peter got that. 
But Jesus added in verse 10, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. You do need that, Peter, and I'm washing your feet, giving you an example, not only of humility, but of sanctification. But you're completely clean. Most of you in this room have received the Lord Jesus Christ, honestly, sincerely from the heart. I mean, as far as I can see. And you're clean. You belong to Christ. You are justified by faith. Nothing is going to interfere with that. He called you, you're his, he's going to keep you. But in the process of keeping you, he's going to keep sanctifying you. And sometimes that's going to involve pain. Sometimes that's going to involve distress. Sometimes that's going to involve personal confusion. But he knows exactly what he's doing. He knew exactly what he was doing here. And he gives another example of knowing it all. He said... You are clean, but not all of you. He wasn't talking about a body part. He was talking about one of the disciples. He knew nobody was fooling him. He knew that there was one in the mix who was a devil. One time he actually called him that. So when he had washed their feet and had taken back his garments, he reclined again at the table and he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? Do you know what this is all about? He said, you call me teacher and Lord. You're right, for so I am. Let me explain something about humility. I want to get this right, so bear with me. Humility is not putting yourself down. If you can sing, it's not saying, oh, I can't sing. If you're an artist, it's not saying, oh, I can't draw a thing. I'm no good at that. If you are, or name any other skill. Humility is not putting yourself down. Not at all. Christian people get very muddled about that. I knew a pastor once whom a lot of people just loved. He was right here in Portland. They just loved the guy because they thought he was humble. He wasn't a bad person at all. Thing is, the guy was a perfect lamb from his mother's womb. I knew that. He had always been the kind that would say, four years old, Mommy, can I help you? Instead of giving her the devil. (laughs) I got to interrupt myself and tell you one. It just occurred to me. I got this little grandson. He's four years old. He was, Christy was down there a while back. She was leaving. She forgot her shoes. So she had to run. The boys were still standing there at the door watching her go. She said, I forgot my shoes. And then she went back to the car and thought she forgot something else. So she come back. And little Colton said, oh, no, not again. <laughs> well, he wasn't that kind of little boy. <laughs> yeah. Well, this guy, as I say, this pastor was born a lamb. Here's when you see grace, the grace of humility. You see grace when you see the Spirit of God take a lambish personality and turn them into a line of God. 
and vice versa when you see the Holy Spirit take one who is by nature a lion and you turn them into a gentle lamb. That's humility. Humility is not, listen carefully, humility is not sweetness nor niceness nor weakness nor mousiness. Humility is a lion of God like our Lord Jesus Christ stooping to serve the weak, the lowly, and stooping to bear the insults and the injuries of the godless and the grumblers for the sake of his father and his mission. Humility is not a lamb, just being the lamb that they naturally are. You have seen humility when you've seen the mighty do the mean and lowly thing, seen the strong be weak for others' sake, seen the superior join the inferior to lift them up. Saw a beautiful example of that in our church in Denver, gal by the name of Nancy. She's still alive and still working in that church. She's in her early 90s, amazing. She was a human dynamo. Her husband was the head of then Eastern Airlines. We always used to say Nancy's the head of Eastern Airlines. She took over about everything. She was awesome. She was so capable, and everybody just loved her. One day, some idiot found another woman, and his wife was just broken. She couldn't even wash clothes. She couldn't even take care of the kids. Nancy got in that big Lincoln of her, drove to her apartment, swept in like an eagle, grabbed up all the stuff, put it in bags or basket, I don't know what, took it to her home, which was at the far end of Denver, washed it all, ironed it all. In those days, they ironed, folded it all, and took it back to Nita. Gave a great lift to her spirit. Nancy on the social scale was up here. Nita was down here. Didn't matter to Nancy. That is a Christian in motion. And that's what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples. It's not, it's not humility to think little of oneself. It's more like humility to make oneself little in order to lift up others. Well, he knew that these disciples, because they had been arguing just recently over who was going to be greatest in the kingdom of God. You know that can tear up churches. I want to say to anybody who's a guest here, we don't have any of that stuff going on. So don't read any codes into what I'm saying. I don't know about tomorrow and I don't know about next year. We don't have any of that garbage going on in our church. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for you and your spirit. But... Somebody said years and years ago, probably 20-some years ago to me, he said, my dad used to always say that in churches, when they get the rumble going, it's always about power. Somebody wants it and doesn't have it. Somebody has it and doesn't want to lose it. And you get this stuff going. Pride, not humility. Always got to watch that in ourselves. 
Always got to watch it. You've got to watch it in yourself. Somebody got a position you thought you should. Somebody got asked to do something you didn't get asked to. We start reading things into that. And stuff gets going. You tell him or you tell her, stuff gets going. It starts getting whispered about. Friendships get busted. Watch that stuff. Be humble. Be very careful. But Jesus said, be careful about that. I've given you an example that you should do as I do. Well, folks, there's a lot there for all of us to learn, and I include your pastor in that. If I were to... Here's a Christian life. You are born again right here. You come to faith in Christ. Watch my fingers and use your imagination. You're justified. You're his and his forever. But he's going to be the Spirit of God sanctifying you and implanting in you the fruits, the virtues of the Spirit of God. And it'll go like this. You notice those down things? Some good days, some bad days. Some days when I'm projecting Christ, some days when the image of Christ is a little turned down low. And every one of us, as we grow in Christ, those virtues are there, but some of them stick out more than others. Some of them, even though we've been believers for 40 years, we're still kind of dragging. Humility could be one of those. Honesty, where we're just not quite where we ought to be. Oh, you pick, you pick a Christian virtue, a fruit of the Spirit. Every, nobody is mature here across the board, including yours truly. There are some times when I'm glad you're not around. <laughs> and there are other times I don't care if you are. And I'm sure you're the same way. We've all got a lot of growing to do. And the beauty is the Spirit of God, if we cooperate, is working in our lives through various things that are going on in your lives and mine right now to bring us up to grade. It's like he's got us on an anvil and there are crooked places and he's hammering out those things to smooth them out and make us more like Christ. And humility is one of those things. Pride was right at the root of the Garden of Eden. There was a woman there and then her husband, you know, they kind of wanted to be like God. We've got to watch wanting to be better than others. So our problem is not so much wanting to be like God, but wanting to be better, wanting to be higher, not wanting to lower ourselves not wanting to take a hit. Ooh, that hurt. That smarts. Who do they think I am? What do they think about me that they would say something like that? 
Do they think I just sit around and take that kind of stuff? Well, let's let me show you who you're dealing with, sister. Buster, you don't treat me like that. I'm sure nobody here has ever had a feeling like that. Don't look at me like that. I'm sure we have. Let's let the Lord do that work in us. I must say, and I'm proud to say it, I know this is not a perfect church. But as your pastor, and I've been here, as you know, a long, long time, I don't see pride as a big issue in this body. But I do see human beings in front of me. And I know that you're like I am. You've got seeds of that in you. Let's look for opportunities to lower ourselves, to stoop, to help others, and to be models of the Lord Jesus Christ and show Christ to the public and show Christ to one another as brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the model of the Lord Jesus, the example of his love manifested in such unstinting humility. We know, our Father, that we are by nature prideful people. Some of us show it a little more easily than others, but all of us have it. It's the root human sin, human pride. Help us, our Father, by the grace of God, by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, to seek opportunities to lower ourselves so that others might be lifted. We pray for those in our body who are not able to be with us, always some. We thank you for those, our Father, whom you are healing. We pray for those who are hurting emotionally, who are lonely. That can be a trap. We pray that you would help us, that we would give them support. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.